Welcome to the Best Ever You Show with your host, Elizabeth Hamilton Garino, CEO and founder of the Best Ever You Network, helping you live your life to the fullest. How? Real people, including celebrities, real advice, real places, products, and businesses, real life stories. It's all right here for you with this radio show, printed magazine, websites, community, and more. Remember to visit us online, too, at besteveryou.com. And now here's your host, CEO and founder of the Best Ever You Network, Elizabeth Hamilton Garino. Hello, everybody, and thank you so much for listening to the Best Ever You show. We've done quite a number of shows this week in an effort to provide information in our community and so forth that um, really helps us all be our best during this period of time, whether it's anxiety relief or stress relief or ideas or ways that you can creatively talk to your children. Um, Yesterday we did a show with um, Dr. Lynn Chelly from Endicott College about how to help our high schools, our high schoolers and our college students, and and that was a real nice community-based show, and we had a lot of good comments about that. So speaking of Endicott College, we have another guest from Endicott College. We have Dr. Lara Salehi with us. She's an award-winning journalist, multimedia journalist and author and assistant professor of broadcast and digital journalism at Endicott College. She's worked in local news, network and cable TV, print, internationally, documentary film, and her work has been published not only on numerous um, news outlets, but also her book, Outbreak Culture, uh, is a very popular book right now. And before this, it was even popular, but it examines the phases of the 2014 through 16 Ebola epidemic, um, which was the largest and deadliest Ebola outbreak outbreak to date. And so we thought we would um, pull her expertise, <laughs> right, Dr. Lair? I'm going to let you kind of take it over. And, um, you know, your your book um, predicted a pandemic like this. So um, how about if I just be quiet and you talk about that? <laughs> that sound. Oh, I could go on and on with all your credentials, but thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me, uh, Elizabeth. And, you know, first of all, what's reported in our book is is not our prediction. We reported on scientific predictions made by researchers who have been looking at outbreaks for decades. What they and their data have told us, based on their modeling, is that the world would see at least one pandemic uh, during this century, and even a likelihood that we would see up to four or more. Um, and so if we think about uh, Ebola and, uh, you know, because our book is on, uh, that focused primarily on Ebola, um, you know, the similarities uh, to the coronavirus in this case, I mean, the pathogen is very different. The viruses are very different. And I think um, what had been predicted was more of a pandemic um, of something like the coronavirus um, rather than Ebola. And that's because Ebola is something that um, it, it was a disease, is a disease that is highly infectious meaning that if you got it, um, and at that time in 2014, there was no uh, vaccine, um, it was still an an experimental vaccine, that um, there was a very, very high likelihood that anybody who got Ebola uh, would die. Um, But it wasn't something that was highly contagious. Um, And that's different for the coronavirus. The coronavirus is something that is highly contagious, uh, but many people who um, get the coronavirus, um, a majority of the cases are mild. Um, And I'm happy to talk about some of the similarities, though, in our response 
to uh, uh, to Ebola and uh, to the coronavirus now. Well, and I think that would be really nice of you to do that. And and I think what I want to also talk about those bring this background into this is that you kind of have part of part of your background is. Um, sort of, I almost want to call it like crisis response because you were part of the team at the Boston Globe um, with all of your news coverage and so forth of the Boston bombings to the Boston Marathon bombings. So um, are there similarities in that as well as we, you know, as we, as we respond to what's happening? Uh, so I can talk about it in terms of being a, a journalist and the way that journalists have been yeah. covering um, this particular uh, this particular crisis. Um, and I, you know, I've seen just as uh, being in a newsroom that uh, handled, uh, you know, the the response, um, you know, from a media perspective uh, of the Boston bombings and the subsequent manhunt and even the trial. Uh, period afterwards, but uh, even when it comes to uh, reporting on, uh, in this case, a coronavirus outbreak, I've seen and read excellent work from journalists covering this outbreak and outbreak response. The best work I've seen so far um, in uh, reporting on the coronavirus um, are among those who are known in the industry as health journalists. And those uh, of us who are solely who have solely specialized in covering health and science and medicine even prior to this outbreak and continue to do so today. I think that those health journalists should be at these major press conferences um, and continue to be asking the right questions and holding decision makers uh, to the response efforts accountable. I love the way you just answered that. Thank you for that. Because that's exactly kind of where I was going with my odd leading question <laughs> was, you know, how, what is the journalism like right now and who do you believe and who do you not believe and where do you go for your information? And I, um, you know, normally I don't say things like that, but I, you know, I just completely agree with you on that. And like when I, I am on Twitter, for example, and so when I'm on there, I'm looking for scientists. I'm looking for people like you who have seen this before and have like a, it's almost like a non-political uh, perspective. Is that is that a way to say that? Uh, absolutely. Um, I think that you know this is not uh, this is not so much a political issue. This is a humanitarian issue, um, and yeah. we can't downplay the seriousness of this outbreak. Um, nor should there be you know sort of these arbitrary deadlines or dates set to stop important measures, health measures, to slow the spread of this disease. Yeah, no, I I completely um I com I completely agree with you there, and it doesn't matter whether I agree or not, but uh, you know I I just I just do, and so I just wanted to kind of chime in, I guess. Um, what were what are the similarities though? What, back to what you were first saying, um, what are the similarities between the two outbreaks? We'll just go back kind of on track. I know I took us off a little bit. So the the virus uh, there's there's not a lot of similarities in terms of the pathogen itself, like I was saying, but um, our response to outbreaks is where we've seen uh, similarities. Um, you know, our, our book examines actually the Ebola outbreak, but then also looked at past major outbreaks like SARS and MERS and AIDS, and we really found a pattern that's emerged in how we respond uh, to outbreaks, regardless of the name of 
the pathogen or the virus. Um, and so we kind of are seeing that in some ways uh, play out uh, today uh, with uh, this coronavirus uh, pandemic. You know, one of the similarities uh, between what we saw with the Ebola outbreak and coronavirus outbreak is the initials or downplaying of uh, the severity um, of uh, this outbreak. In fact, there were health messages um, around uh, the hardest hit countries like Guinea, Liberia, and Sierra Leone, messages that just had uh, billboards that said Ebola is real, right? Because, uh, you know, some people uh, didn't believe that an actual virus was circulating or even was as severe or deadly as, um, as was played up uh, in the media and also by other health workers um, and outbreak responders. Um, and so we kind of are seeing that similarity here, right, as we, as we try to grapple with how se severe or serious is this. Um, and and it's, incredibly, uh, it's incredibly serious. Uh, another similarity is really the delay and inconsistencies in, in response. Um, and even, you know, other types of, of health messages that uh, we are being asked to do here are similar with what we saw during the Ebola response. You know, the call for social distancing um, is something that uh, can be incredibly uncomfortable because you're changing your way of life. And in, uh, during the Ebola outbreak, the communities that were hardest hit were asked not to attend funerals um, or, or uh, go through the traditional burial practices um, uh, the cultural practices, to practice social distancing of family units, to isolate themselves. There were mandatory quarantines in some, uh, in some of uh, the hardest uh, hit areas. Um, and, you know, from the outside looking in, many people uh, had sort of criticized them for not complying with some of these health messages, right? This is going to save your life, so why wouldn't you want to do something like this? And yet, if you think about it, this is some of the same rejections that are, uh, that are taking hold now uh, here in, in our country um, with the coronavirus uh, outbreak. Um, and then, well, you know, we think yeah. about Ebola. Oh, go ahead, sorry. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to chime in and say, you know, if you if you think about what you just said, and you, we're asking human beings to change their behavior, their you know their maybe their instinct, maybe their you know everything about us has been asked to you know like change overnight, and um, one that's one of my kind of like little wheelhouses is helping people make change, and if you just think about what it takes to change to help somebody change to lose weight, or I mean we fight change, a lot of us. And uh, some people embrace it and some people, you know, it's like, oh, no, I don't want to do that. And so um, there's just a, I think there's a whole lot of different responses going on just based on how, you know, we behave just as people. Don't you, don't you think? Yes. I mean, it can be incredibly uncomfortable and you can spend, um, you know, this is why people get degrees in health communication because it's about how are we able to change uh, behavior to do something that um, allows for someone um, to uh, to essentially change their practice um, to something that will overall benefit right the greater the greater good. Yeah, it's incredibly difficult to do. Yeah, and. Um... So with with that said, I, I, what do you think of the word? I'm, I'm just going to ask some of your wording. What do you think of the words that are emerging instead of social distancing? Using the word, the words maybe like physical distancing. Do you think that has any merit? 
I do. I think, um, you know, that it's helpful for people to know that you're not, uh, you know, you're not being asked to isolate yourself socially necessarily because there are so many different ways in which we can communicate with one another. Um, but that physical distance uh, is the health measure that's, uh, that's needed and necessary in this case. So, so yes, while some may look at this um, as, you know, just a change of verbiage, for others this might be, um, you know, something that is meaningful and could possibly help uh, in, in behavior change. Yeah, I kind of like both. Like, you know, if we started to incorporate both, it's it's interesting because I think a lot of people, like when they think of, I think what they meant by social distancing was like social gatherings, you know, um, you know, huge groups of people gathering and um, to change the way we socialize. And um, sort of what it's turned into is people feeling like they're stuck at home. You know, comments like that are being made. And people, so people are kind of correcting each other, which I think is kind of really interesting. You know, the communities are, the, when you get this many people chattering, the people are correcting each other politely, saying, you know, you're safe at home and we're practicing physical distancing with maybe even more social connecting. Um, I, I think that's a really interesting point of view. That is, that's incredibly interesting. And it's also sort of an experiment for those who, um, you know, to find new ways to connect uh, with uh, community members um, that you wouldn't otherwise do. I mean, it's, uh, or even if you would before, right, uh, just finding a new way to, to, uh, to connect. Um, you know, I'm seeing so many of that very positively taking hold um, on social media and uh, even just checking in on, on neighbors um, and other, uh, you know, potentially you know, elderly community members who uh, might be feeling physical uh, loneliness. Yeah. So from, from the Ebola outbreak, were there lessons that you saw um, that you reported on that helped, like that, are, that would help now? Is there anything that you learned um, that, would, that could be applied to what's going on now? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, one thing that uh, we definitely learned, um, you know, after uh, as a fallout, I guess, from the Ebola outbreak um, is that, you know, an outbreak in one part of the world uh, is really an outbreak worldwide. And even though Ebola wasn't as far-reaching as the coronavirus is now, uh, we knew that Ebola had the ability to spread given our, uh, you know, our enhanced care mobility. Um, And so there were many reports that were published after the Ebola outbreak that warned that really the world is solely uh, sorely underprepared for a widespread and more catastrophic uh, epidemic. And so these reports really highlighted how health systems could better prepare, even in the U.S. Um, and aside from a few changes, the major uh, measures um, weren't really uh, implemented. Um, and so, you know, right now it's, it's kind of difficult to predict the outcome. Um, you know, because many different parts of the country are experiencing different, uh, um, different, you know, sort of peak levels at this point. Um, but what I can sort of say uh, is that we learned from Ebola is that really the fallout from Ebola was significant. I mean, entire health systems collapsed, and the rebuilding of the community and health systems, um, you know, continue to this day. 
you know, we know that major outbreaks expose really every vulnerability of health systems, which we're seeing now in the U.S. Um, and so one thing that, you know, we, we learned is that, you know, people uh, who experience outbreaks grapple with fear. Um, you know, for example, the, in, during the Ebola outbreak, you didn't necessarily have to know someone who uh, contracted Ebola to really feel affected by it. Those who lived through Ebola witnessed societal breakdown and trauma that accompanied an outbreak. So there was a surge in the incidence of mental health disorders, including depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress, even substance abuse. So one thing, um, as we learn going forward, is that you know we should be prepared to see uh, potential, you know, psycho- I'm sorry, psychosocial consequences as a result of of what we're experiencing right now. Um, you know, there are really significant, not only social and economic, but even public health costs to um, to really halting or changing our way of life. Absolutely, almost like a like a PTSD type of thing. Is that what you mean? Like just complete. Um, is that what you mean? Like having a yeah, so po- yeah, right. So post-traumatic stress, right? After being in an environment um, that was extremely pressure-filled, that was volatile, that was very unpredictable, right? Didn't know, sure. uh, you know, the the cycle of of the outbreak when um, when it would end, and also, you know, yeah. visit colleagues who had you know, died from the disease, for example, um, or who even contracted the illness or were at high risk of contracting it. Yeah, on Facebook you see people, you know, the it it started, Facebook has sort of changed a little bit. If you follow, like if I just take my feed, for example, which is maybe 10,000 people or so, there's a couple thousand people that I'm friends with, a group with 3,000, and then a bunch of people following and a fan page and things like that. So probably more than that. Probably, let's go 25,000 people. If I take a scroll through there, it's starting to change to, hi, does anybody actually know anybody with this virus? And then the comments coming in. Hi, what's the best news place that you've seen? Then the comments coming in and things like that. Whereas it started out a few weeks ago with people like, hey, we're quarantined, let's do a dance in our living room, you know, that kind of thing. And it's shifted to a more serious tone. The tone of the, tone of the feeds is a very mix of both right now, but it's shifting um, to, ooh, this is serious and I know someone, or this is happening, or here, you know. And it's it's been... It's been in, interesting from a community standpoint to to think of things to support people as best we can, um, like shows like this um, where we we bring somebody on who has some experience. And it's as odd as it the topic, you know. I'd never think, you know, a year ago I'd be like, okay, you know, let's talk about, you know, an, a pandemic, you know, kind of thing on my show. Right. But it's comforting that we have you here to be able to ask you questions. And we've got a lot of them. Um, our group mm-hmm. has some questions for you. And I don't want to veer too far kind of off what we've kind of decided to ask and so forth. But um, can I ask you a couple of these questions? And you can just say I can't answer that or I have to pass or whatever um, because people are, are texting and things like that. People, the biggest question I think people have is, do you think we need some type of global food safety? measure in place and what would that be like do you have any expertise in that and you can pass too yeah you know that's really interesting and i guess i would defer to um you know thinking about um you know that as 
certainly a level of preparedness that's needed. Um, right now, you know, there are many ways that I guess we can dwell on the could-haves and the should-haves of this outbreak. And going forward, that's an excellent, you know, sort of uh, thing as we prepare for the next epidemic um, and and the next outbreak, for sure, because this is going to, um, you know, expose the vulnerabilities of all forms of systems. Um, Our health system, for one, that we're, you know, sort of seeing uh, firsthand, and even that know, having to do with our food systems and, and um, even our, so, our social systems as well. Um, so I think uh, certainly at, at this point in time, it's, it's critical to sort of focus on uh, what can be done right now, right no. this second. Um, and, you know, one thing, as, you know, first and foremost, I think uh, as we think about what to do in this moment uh, is to protect our protectors, right, to ensure that they have the proper equipment, our protectors, our outbreak responders, our frontline workers, right, um, those working sure. in the healthcare sector, right, that they have everything that they need um, because really they're the true heroes in this outbreak. So anything really that they need to be able to adequately respond uh, to, to cases. Um, and there are two usual public health measures that um, are generally used for controlling um, the spread of, of a disease when there, in this case, right, no effective vaccine or treatment. The first thing that's done is to isolate anyone who shows any symptoms or is confirmed to have the disease. And, the, and then the second thing is to then trace, right, and quarantine anyone who's come in contact with that person. Um, so the goal here really is to buy time, right, to test, to trace, and to isolate. And the faster we can do that at this point, the better. So whatever that, uh, you know, whatever that takes is sort of what we need to do. Um, and so, uh, you know, I think as we focus on what we can do right this second, um, we should be empowering communities to act in a way that would buy time to test, trace, and isolate. I like that answer. Thank you for that. And um, just a, a layup question to to that is, do you, and, and again, pass or, or answer or whatever, um, do you have any idea of like what we should be, There's a, like as people, like if you need to go to the grocery store, for example, should you have gloves and a mask on, a hat on? I mean, what, what do we, um, take, you know, trying to take care of our, our present and a need to maybe go to the grocery store or things like that. There's all these arguments going back and forth about you should have a mask on. No, you shouldn't. Yes, you should. No, you shouldn't. Our doctors don't even have them. You know, all those things are being tossed up in the air. Um, is there an answer to that? I'm not a medical expert, so I would defer to asking, um, you know, a, a physician about their recommendation, um, you know, uh, your primary care physician in that particular case. Um, I know that there are many journalists um, who are sort of reviewing the data and seeing, you know, is a mask helpful and if so, how much, right? Um, And how often should it be used? And should there be a policy in place in which or a recommendation made that anyone who goes out wears masks? Um, And so that's something that, of course, is is, uh, being looked at. I've seen a lot of... uh, I've seen a lot of uh, that conversation um, at the level of of those of us who are health reporters as we look at um, as we look at the data, and because that's certainly a question that's being asked um, widely. Yeah, 
And one more. Um, do you think, getting <laughs> a lot of do you thinks, and again, I like the way you're answering, answering the questions too. Um, do you think planes should ground worldwide? These are actual questions from our community. I mean, I That's think a tricky one, that isn't there, it? <laughs> it is, and all of these are so. Uh, it's it's such an incredibly challenging time um, for everyone because there's there's just a lot of uncertainty um, and there's a lot of fallout, not just from our um, you know the health impacts, but also the economic impacts as well um, and the social impacts. Um, you know, our, our book takes a look at that idea of potential travel bans, um, you know, being put in place. Because even during the Ebola outbreak, there were calls to, um, to stop travel, um, to halt all travel. Um, and, you know, there are uh, benefits and there are risks to that. Um, and, and one of the risks that was highlighted in our book was that, um, you know, a ban on travel did, uh, stopped critical equipment from coming into the hardest hit countries um, and other supplies that were needed in order to adequately respond. Um, and so, uh, you know, that, that was sort of to the, to the detriment um, in that particular case. Um, but again, I mean, I think this is a, a sort of a case-by-case case, uh, basis, and um, you know, I'm I'm not an expert on the on the travel. All I know is what you know I've researched um, when it came to uh, writing outbreak culture. All right. This next question is personal for you. Um, a, a student in college wants to shift their major to what they said they read your background and want to shift more toward what you are doing. The question is specific to how did you get interested in this and um, are there any additional degrees that you would recommend or places to get the degrees that you have um, in order to do what you do? Well, I commend whoever asks that question for wanting to go into journalism because um, I think you know there's a, a critical need um, as always, uh, for good journalism um, and for holding those in power accountable. So I really appreciate that there is, um, you know, a serious consideration. And so I would never say no. I would always say yes, and I'm so happy for that question. So thank you. Um, and, uh, you know, if, it, uh, if this person is asking specifically about, um, you know, going into uh, health communication, health journalism, science journalism, um, I, I certainly, uh, you know, and again, there's a no one size fits all, but uh, just reading really as much as, as you can. And my master's degree is in health communication. Um, and so what I would sort of suggest is specializing um, in whatever niche or gaining some form of expertise uh, in uh, that specialty. Uh, in order to be able to accurately um, and also, uh, I guess, reasonably communicate that to the public. Great. Um, and to the to the person who just typed that in, if that didn't answer your question, just just lay up, um, and I'll, I'll I'll ask her more. Um, so let me. Do you? Um, we only have a couple more minutes, and I want to be super respectful of your time, which isn't normally my style. I usually keep guests on for more, way more time, but I, I really need to make sure I, I respect your time and, and your energy here. Um, 
what would you like to leave the show on? I had an idea that we could maybe talk about what we can expect over the next few weeks and months and so forth throughout the world and in the United States. But if we've covered that, um, or if you want to end with something else, take it away. <laughs> uh, sure. I mean, I think uh, really it's difficult to predict, right, the outcome in this case, there's so many unknowns still about this virus, right? And, the, um, and it's mixed into really our changing environment and our policies. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's, it's part of some scientists' work to offer predictions uh, using the best available scientific data, it's what they call modeling. And we know, based on uh, various different forms of modeling, um, that if we do nothing, that this, uh, this outbreak will get worse. And so I think we have a shared responsibility here um, to, uh, to adhere to the health uh, recommendations, uh, which in this case are to, um, to socially distance or, as you described it, Elizabeth, right, physically distance but keep a social connection. Okay. Um, thank you. And, and people can... Get your book if they. Uh, I would recommend ebook everybody uh, because I do know Amazon is having delays with um, shipping and so forth. Um, just with my own books and so forth, I have I've got that experience and trying to order other people's books. So um, I don't know if yours is under that that category of being delayed um, in shipment mode, but definitely the ebook, right? Do you have an audio book as well? I don't no. have an audio book. Okay. I think you might need one. <laughs> we need an audio book from you. <laughs> you do a phenomenal <laughs> job speaking, and I, I appreciate you being on the show. Goals, right? Um, and I, and your book is called Outbreak Culture. Um, are, do you have another book? I'll leave on this note. Do you have another book in, in the making? Or what are, what are some of the things that you're working on? And then we'll go. Um, right now, uh, I'm all in on coronavirus coverage. Uh, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, my... My goal at this point is just to continue offering information um, that is critical to um, the community around me in order for us to be able to respond and, and uh, you know, come through. Okay, one more question. People are asking, can we follow you on Twitter and Facebook? Are you that, you're on Twitter. I saw you on Twitter. Is that for the public or is that closed? Can people just no, follow that you? No, uh, that is for the public. Yep. Okay. So I'm on, I'm t- on Twitter and also on Facebook. All right. Thank, my name. And do you have a website you want to direct people to? Uh, LaraSalahi.com is my website. Perfect. I'll make sure we have a link up to that as well. I don't see that with the show. So thank you, Lara. I really appreciate your, your time and energy in helping us here at Best Ever You um, ease our fear and anxiety and stress and know just, you know, we're empowered with knowledge. So I, I thank you very much for your time. Thank you. And thank you to everyone at Endicott College for for, um, letting us borrow Dr. Lara today. (laughs) All right. Thank you, everybody. Have a a safe – stay safe and well. And um, remember, our coverage of the coronavirus is community-based. We are not a source of um, urgent uh, information or emergency. If you have a true emergency, please follow the rules in your community and the guidelines that are established in your community, state, country, and so forth. We are worldwide. So please follow those um, in the United States. Um, there's 911 and then other things that we have posted on our website as um, more news and, and information. We have besteveryou.com slash
coronavirus, please note that those are community um, pieces. Those are more feelings. Those are more um, emotional-based, um, how to deal with emotion, stress, anxiety, and so forth. And again, not the most current coverage on numbers or um, where the outbreak is and so forth. I just want to make sure we clarify that because we are a live podcast and we've been kind of asked to do some of those announcements. So thank you again, everybody, for listening. And um, please stay safe and well. Thank you again, Dr. Lara Salehi. Thanks for listening to the Best Ever You Show. Want more? Visit us at besteveryou.com. Be your best and keep it real. Confident, successful, caring, and beautiful every day with Best Ever You.